I'm going to ask Aguda to come up first, and she's just going to give a little bit of an intro as to why we asked Danielle to be here today. So, hello everyone. Um, I'm Aguda Adekoya. I'm in cohort 17, so fairly new. Um, I saw the post on Facebook about the winter get-together, and Joy asked different questions. Um, who would you like to nominate, or who would you like to hear from? And... Me being a newbie, I was like, um, okay, I'm not sure what this is all about. But anyway, the person I could think about was Danielle because um, I heard her speak at an event in Swindon, which is where I live. And I mean, the things she said, you know, I resonated with them. I, for someone who had, you know, climbed so high as she had, and she was so real, so down to earth. And it was from her I learned to um, take a step and, you know, Think about the voices in my head and what is it actually saying? What is stopping me from doing things that I'm doing? And she runs this, I don't know, incredible team of remarkable women who, you know, I've joined and I receive daily nuggets, emails to push me through my day every day. Get up, crazy lady, just do it, you know. She <laughs> changes, you know, the norm of what obtains in the working world today. And I just think she's brilliant. And... This connection couldn't have been possible without Carla because when I nominated her, I think Carla sent an email and said, I, I can connect to you or something. So, yes, I welcome Great. Carla. And um, it was through a mutual friend that I'm we have tomorrow. in common, um, a lady uh, called Kelly Herrick, um, who introduced me to uh, Danielle's group of women uh, that's known now known as the Remarkable Women. Uh, so when Aguda mentioned Danielle, I thought, oh, I'm connected with Danielle on, on LinkedIn. And due to my procrastination issues, I still haven't done what we said we were going to do <laughs> over a year ago. Um, and so I put Joy and Danielle in touch with each other, hence uh, why Danielle's here today. So it's great to be meeting you in the flesh face to face today. Um, and, and similarly to Aguda's story, really, Danielle, if you haven't come across Danielle's work yet, she's a really inspiring woman. Um, and the way that Danielle can connect with you, um, just in simple terminology, simple language, that actually suddenly you feel, gosh, how has she got there to me? How am I thinking what I'm thinking? Just by reading a few sentences in her book. Uh, but first things first, let's hear about you and your story and your background. So for those that don't know about your story, tell us about your background and, and how your career okay. started out. I'll do the very short version. Um, so when I was a kid, I wanted to be prime minister. I was very clear about that. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I know there are people still saying, can you not do that? Um, and I did a degree in politics and... Uh, didn't become a politician in any level. I became a secretary <laughs> uh, because one of the things that people would hire me for was I could type really fast. Like I was 120 words a minute because I'm really competitive. Um, <laughs> and I used to do data entry and the faster you went, the more money you earned. So it made sense to learn how to type fast. And my career took really odd turns. Everywhere I went, um, people wanted me to do HR. That was the thing. And I resisted it, to be honest, because I was like, I want to be in the business. I want to be, be where the conversations are at. Um, but actually, in the end, I just let, I let it happen. <laughs> and um, I, I worked in HR for a long time. I ended up at Sky TV. Uh, I left Sky one day uh, because I was headhunted for the job of my dreams. It was HR director for a company with a guy who deeply, deeply inspired me. And I describe it as being caught by the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, if you know that film. <laughs> 
So I actually left that job probably in great shame at the time because um, I'd never seen more grown men cry in my life. This guy was a sociopath. And I was, so, I was so afraid to leave that my husband said to me, I just want you to hand me your Blackberry and your car keys and send him an email and turn your Blackberry off. And um, I will sort it from there because I was so terrified to go in and speak to this guy. And, and I was this hugely confident woman who had achieved amazing things in my life and I was broken. But the amazing thing about the brokenness was I met my now business partner as a consequence of that. She was the person who coached me out of it. Um, she'd actually taken my old job at Sky or another job that was very similar. And I met her at dinner and she just walked up to me and said, you're not OK. Um, here's my card. And she didn't know anything about the story. And in fact, the only thing she knew about me was um, she didn't like me very much because every time she tried to do something, people would go, but Danielle wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> and she said there was one point where she literally said, she is not here anymore. <laughs> and so I think when she met me and I was really broken, that was um, a bit of a shock for her. So I came back to Sky. I became a change director eventually. So I ran major technical projects, which is very odd. And if you read my book, there's a point where I say I was running project managers and analysts and I still don't know what an analyst does. Um, and that's genuine. Like, I read they're clever people, but I don't understand it. But I'm a good leader. And so one day um, I got a call from the COO. It was a video conference he asked for. And he said, we want you to run the call centres. And I thought he was joking. Um, and I burst out laughing. He said, I'm not joking. We want you to do it. We want you to start in two weeks' time. So I went from 65 people to 10,000, um, yeah, overnight. So that was a masterclass in leadership. And uh, while I was there um, doing work that I really, really loved, I realised I was getting tired and I wanted to, I wanted to rest. And so I served my notice um, with the intention of having a year off. But while that was happening, Sky had made me the poster girl for women in leadership. Literally, there were pictures of me on the back of toilet doors. Um, luckily, I was looking off in a direction. So I was like, you don't want me watching you, are you? Having a pool. Um, and um, I had to speak at many events. So I got really interested in what was going on for women. Um, having not really experienced a lot of uh, discrimination, apart from when I'd worked in construction right at the beginning of my career... And so I decided to get really interested in what was happening for women and I dropped all my, I was a, known to, for being an internal mentor and coach. I stopped coaching all the men and I only worked with women for my last year. And um, my now business partner and I went off on an event together and a long story, we ended up, I didn't have my year off. I resigned in the October and we launched our business in the November and I stayed in Sky till the March. Um, and now what we're doing, we evolved, because you've been with us a bit for a yeah. long time, uh, we started to do online programs helping women just experience some level of transformation. But we started to research what are women, what are high potential women want. And what we found really consistently was women really want to make a difference. Whatever their version of that is, they really want to make a difference. But they're holding back. And I don't believe it's because, I don't believe it's all because of the patriarchy and I can have conversations with you about that. My experience when we interviewed these women was they were afraid. They were afraid of the cost to their health. They were afraid of the cost to their relationships, to their children, to their partners. And some of them, many women are afraid of losing all their money and losing security and stability. And so our work became about how do we help women have a life of impact and joy? I think what was unusual about your story is that you were really open mm -hmm. about what experience you'd had trying to set up a business yeah. and how 
one opportunity hadn't have, as worked as planned? Yeah, not at all. So pre-Sky, uh, my husband and I set up a business. It was in construction, as you do. I had loads of construction experience. I'd worked in construction, but not as a technical. Um, and we were supremely cocky, uh, both pretty senior. I was a head of HR at the time. He was an equity partner. We lost every penny we had ever had. Um, we only didn't go bankrupt because I literally crawled under a bed and cried for like a month because my husband went round to pretty much every bank in town mm. and negotiated with each of them to give us loans so that we could pay off the debt rather than go bankrupt. Um, because he had a, uh, one of his children was in private school and it was really important because of, because of the educational needs that they stayed there. And if we'd gone bankrupt, we'd have had to pull them out. And so we spent... Oh, I'm going to say three years, um, literally going to the bank and taking out 60 quid for shopping and 40 quid each. And between us, we were earning a very high six-figure between-us income. And my money went on physio because I had a very bad back at the time. Mm. And um, it was horrific. Yeah, I mean, I and so, but it's been such a gift in terms of, running a business again. My husband's had two businesses since then and, and we're now in our fourth year of this one because we call it a masterclass. You know when life serves you up lessons but you wouldn't choose them that way. <laughs> we always say it's like a, a diamond wrapped in turds. <laughs> it's a whole new dimension yeah. to sparkling there. I, I think losing the business was exactly that for us. Mm. Um, because I look back on it now and I just go, well, I just wouldn't be who I am today had I not had that experience, because it was a good dose of humility. Uh, it was a good dose of what's important and what's not. Um, and it was a great dose of learning to get up again after you've mm. fallen. Yeah. And as you say, so I came across you when you were leading the Somebody Inside mm. programme that's now become Remarkable Women. Mm. Um, so tell us more about Remarkable Women and if you could give us some examples of a, of a couple of a remarkable women that you've come across during that time that you've been running that business. Great. So we teach five things. Um, we teach mission. So what, what, what are you here to do? What are you here to do in the world? We teach potential. So I have a big belief that human beings live into about 20% of their potential. Why do I say that we put people on the moon? <laughs> You know, and there are people out there who've cured themselves from cancer, who somebody worked out how to put human beings in a box and project it all over the world on TV, you know. And so I think we're capable of so much more than we allow ourselves to be. And this thing up here kids us otherwise, right? And so a lot of our work is on showing people how to playfully play bolder. Mm. We work on relationships, we work on money because that's super important and we work on choice. So we work on mastering the mind um, because, as you were saying, that there's a voice in our head that is persistently telling us we can't. And so that work is just critically important. Um, we work with some, all our women are remarkable, to be honest with you. And what happens when they join the community is they, they join and go, great to be here. And then they freak out with imposter syndrome. Uh, about three minutes later <laughs> and I have to like pick them all up and go no you are here for a reason it's all good because I have no judgment on what people should do I mean we, we are remarkable there's never going to be another you ever again <laughs> in space and time right so, so you've already passed the bar of remarkable before anything else happens <laughs> like just just that you're sat here there's, we're never going to see you again apart from at this moment in history and so um I love to show people that and what I believe is we're all being invited to express our gifts fully 
Because I, I firmly believe that the world would be a really different place if we did. And so when we choose to listen to the voice in our head that tells us we're to play small, everybody misses out. You know, everyone misses out. And I just think the world's got a deep requirement for more love right now and more compassion and more heart-centred leadership, as we would describe it. And so if, if you get nothing else from me today, no, I'm calling you forth on that, but I'm probably calling you forth in a different way, which is not to work harder, but to be more discerning in your choices, mm. right? And so um, I'll get to the women in a minute, but now I feel I'm on a roll, so I'm going to stick with her. <laughs> um, there's a great quote from a guy called Tim Ferriss, who I'm actually not a fan of. <laughs> so often I read books for insight rather than, than agreement, but often you find things in them that really wake you up. Tim Ferriss says uh, this great quote. It says, the world has agreed to shuffle papers from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And since you've agreed to be part of that system, you're obliged to keep yourself busy during that time. <laughs> it's something like that. <laughs> and, and before that, it says, I don't know why he's done it before and not afterwards. Remember this, most things make no difference. And so what I experience when I'm working with women all the time is they are filling their days with trivia and noise and losing sight of what it is they most want to create. And I don't mean that you're not legitimately busy. What I mean is if you were able to sit down and say, where do I have the most impact? Where do I create the most service? You would be filtering on a different level where your time goes. And so when we work with our remarkable women, we're doing that. And I'm, I'm showcasing with that story because I want to tell you about a remarkable women in a minute and I don't want you to hear the do more story. Mm. So I want to tell you about two. I want to tell you about one in our community and one outside of our community. Um, so one is a lady called Holly Ransom. If you don't follow her on LinkedIn, then you should. Um, when Holly was 22, she was invited to chair the G20 Youth Summit by the Australian Prime Minister, right? This is how remarkable this woman is. By the time she was 26, she, Barack Obama had chosen her to moderate his only conversation in Australia. Um, last This year, she was on stage with Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote Blink, Outliers, if you've heard of him, and also Gina Davis. You'll definitely know who she is. She just won a Harvard Fulbright scholarship. So she's taking two years out of her astoundingly ridiculous business, she's 29, <laughs> um, I don't even know how I got to meet her, frankly, um, to learn about international policy and governance because she wants to change the world. And you know when you speak to her, we've got a podcast coming out with her soon, you want to listen to it, you just go, please do. <laughs> uh, you know, please, please, can you get on with it? And um, what she said to me, and I, I want you to hear this because it's so astounding when she says it, she said, I didn't think I would get that scholarship. And I'm like, really? You know, like, Holly, if you weren't going to get it, who the heck was going to get it? And she said, I didn't think I was going to get it. She said, so I decided I would go all in. And she said, so um, I got 20 people to read my essay that was going to Harvard. She said, and I pulled a team of mentors around me because I decided if I was going to do it, I was going to give it my best shot. And here's what I noticed with all of us. Sometimes we're so afraid of failing, we're not willing to give it our best shot. <laughs> So actually, we tip a couple of layers off it so that we can say, oh, it didn't matter. <laughs> mm. I was kind of ready with my plan B anyway. But the thing we teach now is not work harder in that space, but it's what would your 10 out of 10 plan look like if you weren't afraid? Who would you ask for help if you believed you could ask anybody? <laughs> what would you put on your big hairy ass goal? <laughs> because you've got a long, it's a long game. It's not a short game. It's not about what you do next week or next month. We work on a 25-year mission because in 25 years, you can do anything, absolutely anything. And so 
I would invite you to, to write another goal, which is if I was not afraid of anything, what would I be going for then? And who would I write to and who would I ask for help? Because one of the things I've learned over the course of the last four years is whenever I ask for things, I don't always get a yes, but I get a hell of a lot more yeses than I would do if I didn't ask at all. <laughs> and that's what changes the game. Mm. Like it's, that's how we unlock our potential because we say, I, I want to, I've got this thing in my heart or in my soul and I want it to be expressed in the world. And um, Holly, for me, was just a great example of that. Let me tell you about another woman. Uh, I want to tell you about two, actually. So, uh, Dr. Julie McElroy. Um, astounding woman. Different story. Uh, we offer scholarships into the community. So, we have five scholarships every year for women who would not get in otherwise, essentially. And I put into the community, who should we be inviting to apply for scholarships this year? And I got tagged in a post. And, you know, you need to speak to this woman. And her name's Dr. Julie McElroy. She's in Scotland. And it was an article in The Scotsman that she'd written. I thought, well, this is interesting. Why would I want to give a scholarship to somebody who's obviously super well-known already? And I open up this article and it turns out that Julie has cerebral palsy and she's profoundly deaf. Um, she has a PhD, two masters and a bachelor's. And 360 job applications later, nobody is employing her. She has a contract with the Scottish government. And she hates it because they basically stuck her in a corner and said, write policy. And this woman wants to be with people. And so I wrote to her and I said, Julie, um, I'd love you to give us some advice on how to make our community more open to people, to women like you. And in return, if you like, I'll trade you for a, a coaching conversation. And she wrote back to me, it was brilliant. She said, well, I'll meet you if you want, but I don't need a career coach. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, so many people have tried and it's pointless. And I wrote back and I said, well, good news for you. I'm not a career coach. I'm not a career coach. And so we met for coffee in Glasgow. I spent two hours. I was really nervous because like, this woman's profoundly deaf. And I just thought, there's so many ways I could get this wrong. You know, so many ways I could offend or I could tread on waters that I shouldn't tread on. We had this amazing conversation. She's just a bundle of joy. She's done some incredible things with her life. And yet she can't get employment. And for the last nine months, we've been playing this campaign of stand on my shoulders. Like literally, who in the community can give her openings into organisations, who can give her introductions? And even with 60 of us behind it, it's really hard work. Um, but as a consequence of that, next year we're running a webinar with Tani Gray-Thompson because she's come into our world now. I don't know if you remember her. She won the London Marathon wheelchair race many times. Um, because we're playing Boulder because of Julie. <laughs> she's making us ask for things that we wouldn't have asked for otherwise. And so the community just, the work has just been this gift that keeps on giving, right? Because you just keep coming across women and invite, sticking a bit of rocket fuel in them, like we love to do, and watching them launch. And um, I just wake up every morning and go, I'll get to do this, you know? It's really cool. <laughs> and it's been really interesting watching your social media, actually. So your presence on LinkedIn and on your platform on Facebook, um, promoting remarkable women. Um, so I'm not going to steal your thunder on that. I'm going to let everybody explore that for themselves. But if you've got um, one key takeaway, no pressure for today, what's your key takeaway for us for today? Oh. I'm going to say the one that just came into my head then, ask for help. Like, I, I do it too, right? You do not have to go this alone. And... That's where the ego gets in the way. Like, I can't ask people. They're busy. They're important. 
uh, they haven't got time for me or, I, you know, like, I'll do, do it myself, mummy. You've probably all got kids who do that, right? And I don't think we're meant to go it alone. I just don't think we are. And so my experience is that every time we learn to ask for help, life gets a little bit easier. And I just see women really, really struggling to do it. And I want to say this. We teach a thing called the powerful request. Um, I haven't got time to teach it now, but I'm going to give you a flavour of it really quickly. The idea of the powerful request is that you craft your request for help. You spend time on it. So what we see so frequently is women go, well, I asked so-and-so and they didn't come back to me. And it's like a three-line email. You know, somebody wrote to me this week. I've never met this person. And she said, I've been following you for a while. Um, can, will you be my mentor? And I'm like, <laughs> say more, you know, because, and I would call that either a nervous request or a lazy request. So when people write to me and say, Danielle, can we meet for a coffee? I've been reading your stuff for a while. I'm like, what for? You know, tell me what for, because maybe I'm not the one to help you, but I might know somebody who is, and I'd rather send you off in that direction than we meet for a random coffee just to see, you know? And so our invitation is is to spend time with requests, to make the person on the other end want to help you, (laughs) and to feel as though that's part of their service to the world. Um... So when, if you ask for help like you think you're not going to get it, that won't be a powerful request. And so when I had to write to Tani, um, I got a, a, an appalling introduction to Tani. God bless him. A good friend of mine introduced me to her. Um, and it said, Tani, I really think you, he's friends with her. You really should meet Danielle. She's thinking about doing this stuff. And it, then it said nothing. And I thought, blimey, this woman's in the House of Lords. She's going through Brexit at the moment. She's not going to meet with some random woman that a three-line invitation has come from so I I spent an hour crafting an email to her which basically said um I know you're really busy and I know that um you must get requests for help all the time so I want you to know up front I will not waste my time with you if you give me an hour I will do something with it are you willing to place a small bet on me we met for breakfast two weeks later um And I know that it wouldn't have happened if I'd left that introduction just Mm. to be the way it was. And so if you've got this amazing community, if you're not sure how to ask for help, ask each other, you know. But you've all got some big dreams in this room. They've already been expressed today. So don't go them on your own. Don't go them on your own. That's great. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for your time. Coming along today.